Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. So, we're going to pick back up where we are in the book of Colossians. So, go ahead and grab your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read it in just a bit. We'll get there in just a little bit. We're going to do a little bit of introduction of uh, what we're talking about today. The beautiful thing about doing sequential expository preaching that we've discussed at length here is that you touch on a wide variety of topics. You touch on just about everything, and we follow the natural divine rhythm of Holy Scriptures. So I don't have to sit in my office and try to come up with something cool to talk to you about. We just go and talk about what God is talking about. So this morning, we're going to see how the gospel, how the redemptive work of Jesus Christ has far-reaching implications to every area of your life. So yes, justification, the fact that you are justified in the eyes of the Lord, it is important and we need to learn this and we need to know this and we need to grasp this and, and cherish it. But we need to also know that the gospel message does not end with justification. You see, the Christian is brought into right standing before God, who then, through the working of the Spirit in their life, begins to redeem all of the structures that the fall has destroyed or tarnished or in some other way perverted. And namely, what I'm speaking about this morning is marriage. The gospel redeems the marriage. We can look around, look across the landscape of marriage in America and just poll your average citizen, and you will find that there's just not very much respect for marriage anymore. And we see that also by the rapid, rapidly increasing numbers of divorce. Now, I've I am familiar with what that is like as I was, went through that in my childhood. So I'm not at all here to condemn you this morning because there is forgiveness in the Lord. And moreover, that further proves and strengthens the point that the gospel redeems marriage. Through the power of the gospel, you can now, if you are a Christian, you can live the marriage, the way that God intended it. And we're going to see this morning two verses about what that is supposed to look like. Now, I just want to say, to further reiterate, that it should not be a surprise to us that God's design for marriage is completely countercultural. Our culture, our society, doesn't think it needs to be that serious. They don't 
think that it really needs to be that way. Those rules and laws and regulations and restrictions were for a different time. But how many of you know this morning that the word of the Lord stands forever? It doesn't end at any point. It stands forever. So what God has said about marriage is still true today. So I want you, Christian, this morning to understand that this world needs to see Christians. I don't mean churchgoers. I don't mean people who vote conservative. I don't mean people who choose Pure Flix over Netflix. I mean people who grab hold of the Word of God and apply it to every area of their life. As J.C. Ryle said, Never be afraid of letting men see you want to go to heaven. Think it no disgrace to show yourself a servant of God. Never be afraid of doing what is right. It is with that in mind that we will examine what it is that the Lord says about marriage. So if you will stand with me. We're in Colossians 3. We're going to read verses 18 and 19, and then we will pray. This is the word of God. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God. How inadequate I am to preach marriage wisdom this morning, God. There are plenty of marriages in here who have a lot of years and decades on me. So this morning, God, I do not want to rely on me. I want to rely on your word because your words are timeless. Your instruction is not a respecter of persons. So I pray that this morning your words stand forth and shine like a diamond in this place and that your spirit do the work in our hearts that needs to be done, that we can live lives and have marriages that glorify you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So this morning we're going to deal with each role individually and then we will look at them together. So women, you're up first, not because I'm trying to be picky, but because you were first in the text. Okay, so don't get mad at me this morning. I'm hiding behind the Bible. We're going to deal with what it means and what it does not mean to submit to your husband. And then we're going to talk about what it's supposed to look like. And then we're going to move to the men. Allow me to preface by saying to both the women and us men, this is not an opportunity for you to use the truth of the word of God to bash each other. It's very easy for us to say, well, he doesn't do that. Well, she doesn't do that. Well, he never. Well, she never. No. That would be completely against the spirit and the heart of this passage this morning. May we all instead, with open hearts, 
allow the Holy Spirit to convict us individually so that we can have marriages that glorify God. After all, if you're both Christians, your primary duty in your marriage is to glorify God. Your primary duty in your marriage is not to just be romantic and date your wife or date your husband. Those are important. But your primary duty, because you are a Christian, is to glorify your Lord God. It is unfortunate that today we see the biblical definitions of the roles of men and women so distorted and so hated. For women, your question is, you might find offense to this verse and say, submit. Why should I submit? I am not his slave. And I want to ensure you right away that that's not what this means. And I hope that you will listen so that I can help to put that at ease within you. But for men, it's the opposite. You might hear this and say, yeah, did you hear that? You're supposed to submit. Both attitudes would be wrong. Both sides. We're in this together. In reality, in order for us to truly flourish the way that we think that we will if we go apart from what God says, in order for us to truly flourish in our marriage, we got to do it God's way. Why? Because he created it. He designed it. It's his. It's a gift from God. It's not your right. It's a gift. It's a blessing. It's a calling. In Genesis 1.26, it says, So God created man in his own image, and in that sense it means mankind, humanity. He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. We see from the beginning that God has created each of us uniquely and with a distinct purpose in mind. What does that mean? It means that it didn't say that God created man and man junior. So as to imply that we have the same responsibilities or the same roles. We don't. Women cannot do everything that man can do. Men, you cannot do everything a woman can do. I know a lot of women are like, I know that's right. Can't even load the dishwasher. We're made with different roles. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay for you to have a role and for your husband to have a role. That's how God designed it. It didn't simply say that he created humans so as to imply that the roles are ambiguous and you get to choose what role you have to play. He didn't say that, did he? He said he created male and female. But it also doesn't say that he created the strong, brilliant man and the lesser, not as important woman. Women, I know that there are a lot of men who have abused their leadership roles and they have abused 
their God-given authority in the home. And so this topic might be really sensitive and sore for you. But please, understand that God can redeem the marriage. When we depart from God's good and perfect design, that is when we will experience all sorts of chaos and dysfunction. If you're single in the house this morning, I know that your temptation is to tune out because you say, well, I'm not married. This doesn't apply to me. But maybe you will be one day. As we look at verse 18, I want you to notice a very important phrase. Look at verse 18. It says, wives, submit to your husband, comma, as is fitting in the Lord. This shows us that it is being written to and for Christian households. As we see here, the distinguishing characteristic of a Christian household is not your perfect church attendance. It is not hanging scriptures on the wall. And as I said at the beginning, it's not choosing Pureflix over Netflix. The distinguishing characteristic of a Christian household versus a different household is that you apply the scriptures to your life. That's what sets you apart. All of those things are fine. I'm not condemning scriptures on the wall. I'm not condemning pure flicks. But what is most important is looking at this word and saying, God, what do you want for me first? And then what do you want from us? Because you still have a part to play. You still have your own spiritual walk that you need to be cultivating as the husband or the wife. So if you want to have a godly home, I would encourage you, apply everything from chapter 3 that we have read so far. Everything. And these two verses. So what does submit mean? Well, women, if you want to flourish as a woman of God, and if you want to be pleasing unto the Lord, if you want to grow into the fullness of the womanhood that God has ordained for you, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Is that a challenging statement? It's okay. You're going to be okay. This is a wonderful thing for you to do. It is. And I hope that I can show you this morning that it is not demeaning at all. The word being used here for submit means to recognize a relationship of order that has been established by God. Submitting is recognizing a relationship of order that has been established by God. In other words, you're not submitting because he's the stronger man. You're submitting because you're a woman who wants to honor God. And this is what is written in the scriptures for you. Let us therein understand that first and foremost, and for the husband too, your first priority 
is to submit to the Lord. If we don't have that, outgo the hopes of a God-glorifying, joyful, satisfying marriage. Your motivation for submitting to your husband is not that you are inferior and your husband is superior. It is not that he's the master and you're the slave. It's not that you belong in the kitchen while the man goes and handles all the important things. That is not what this means. Your submission to your husband's headship and leadership is because you are a Christian woman. So then, to not be submissive to your husband, and listen to me closely, to not do this is in fact to be in sin. How can you possibly say that? Whenever you look at how this was written in the Greek, they are verbs that are in the imperative mood. I know you probably don't have a clue what that means. But if you remember way back from school, whenever you were in English class, there was a period would mean imperative, wouldn't it? Am I getting that right? My wife's a teacher and she's smarter than me. Okay, she teaches math. There is such thing as the imperative mood. And it means a command. It means do this. It means this is said with force. So women, when we look at this and we say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not for me. That was for a different time. That's not for me. I have my own ideas about marriage. That's not for me. Enter any other kind of excuse or reason. It means that you are in sin. Because this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God himself. Don't worry, we're getting to the men. As we unpack the meaning, let's look at three things that submission is not. Submission is not silence. What does that mean? Well, it's possible that you read this text as a God-fearing woman this morning, and you say, well, hold on a second. I want to honor God, but does this mean I no longer have a voice in the household? No. Not at all. That's not at all what this means. It doesn't mean that you have to wear a muzzle, metaphorically speaking. Submission is not your muzzle. It does not mean that you no longer have opinions. You no longer are an independent consciousness with a brain. That you no longer get to interject when you see danger on the horizon. Or you just have to sit there quietly in the home. That's not what this means. Men, that's not what this means. You ought to have a voice in the home. Men, Your wife ought to have a voice in the home. God has graced women with an uncanny level of intuition. I could tell you my mom, growing up, she just knew everything in the world that I was doing. I don't understand what that is about moms. Husbands, how many of you have sat in the living room And for all you know, your children are in Dallas when you were supposed to be watching them. 
Well, it's really quiet right now. <laughs> Women, they know. They're, uh, it's, it's too quiet in here. I know what they're doing. They're in that little room. They're in that cabinet that I told them not to do. And they go in there, and sure enough, what did they find? They're exactly right every time. That is a, that is a God-given grace to women. That you, you have intuition, and that's okay. Men, we would do well to listen to our women. Now, women, this is not an excuse then for you to now puff up and rise up and say, I'm smarter than you are. Maybe you are. Maybe you are. But is that loving? We're going to make it through this, I promise. Submission is not second class. It's not second class. Many women are fearful of the word submit because they feel like this means that they are conceding that their husband is the superior being and you're just the poor, helpless housewife. That's not what this means at all. Men, that's not what this means at all. There are plenty of women, and all the men are going to fight me after this, but there are plenty of women who are much smarter than men. It happens, believe it or not. There are women who are much more organized than men. The biblical instruction for marriage is not that the man is better at everything than the woman. That is not what this means. But it does mean that there, are or, there is order and there are roles for which we were each individually created for. Submitting to your husband does not mean that you, are not, that you are now not as good at anything as he is or that you no longer have gifts, talents, or abilities. You do. God has blessed women with wonderful gifts, with brilliance, with abilities, and with ways of thinking about things that oftentimes men need. In Genesis, when God created Eve, do you know what he said about Adam? It is not good for man to be alone. I will create for him a helper. We need you. <laughs> You're an integral part of what God is doing on the earth. Submitted, submission does not annihilate your individuality, but instead it helps you flourish into mature womanhood. Thirdly, submission is not slavery. Let's have a moment of honesty here. There are plenty of men who abuse this understanding. And who say, you are supposed to submit to me, I'm the man. Men, submission, your authority in the home, your leadership in the home, is not your right to be fought for. It is your responsibility. Those are entirely different things. Men, our gender has radically failed 
in leadership. Our gender has radically failed when it comes to authority. We abuse it. And understand this morning that marriage is not a place for you to satisfy your need and your hunger for power. Submission does not mean that you enslave yourself, women. But it frees you to operate in the role that God has designed you for. That is how you will flourish. That is how you will grow, is by doing what God has ordained for you to do. Unless, of course, your husband is leading you into sinfulness. In which case... Your duty, your role, your responsibility, your command from the scriptures is to obey God. If your husband is leading you into sinfulness, you must say, I would love to honor your authority, but I cannot right now. Because my first, my first line of commitment is to God. We are not your Savior. Only God is. So what does submission look like? Ephesians 5.24 Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That's Ephesians 5. 24. That's an interesting word there, everything. Submission is your loving support and affirmation of your husband's leadership in which you voluntarily yield to his recognized authority in the home. I hope that's clear for you this morning. The wife's submission to her husband is motivated by obedience to God's commands and love for God. It is the understanding that God has called you to a specific role and he has also called your husband to one as well and you will both flourish when you operate within those roles. Husbands, verse 19. Love your wives. Now, why is it written that way? Isn't it interesting that it doesn't say, Husbands, dominate your wives so that they can submit to you. It doesn't say that, does it? But God knows that your and my natural inclination would be to say, I'm the man, listen to me. So what is God's command to you and I? Love. Ouch. Love and do not be harsh. Ouch. What does this mean? It means that your role in the home is the position is a position of authority, but you are not an authoritarian. You're not a dictator. 
You don't rule the home with an iron fist. That is not what leading your home looks like. And if you disagree, I would welcome you. I would invite you to find that in the scriptures. Head of the household, as I said, is is not your right. It's your responsibility. It's your duty to lead your home. It's your duty to love your wife. The other side of this, we have men who take it too far with running with their authority, and then we have men who put it on the opposite side, and they fall into passivity. The other side of this coin is that you find men who are just willing to just sit back on the sidelines and not do anything and lay down their responsibility. But just because it says, do not be harsh here, that does not mean that gentleness means do nothing. Too often, the men sit on the sidelines and do absolutely nothing. When God has charged you and me to lead, where are we, men? Are we leading our homes? Are we leading in our churches? Are we the last to sign up for anything? Are we the last to offer our help? Are we the last because we're letting everybody else do it? Now, this doesn't mean that women aren't allowed to lead anything at all, ever. But God has given men the responsibility of leadership. He has. To swing the pendulum too far on the other side is also to be in sin. See, men, your command here is also an imperative. That means to not be doing this is for you to be in sin. Now, what manner of love is this exactly? In the original language, it is agape love. Do you know what that is? It is a strong love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character, which is perfection, by the way especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. Now, does that sound domineering at all? I don't think so. In other words, it is a very selfless and sacrificial kind of love. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? And how does he continue to love the church? By sitting on the sidelines? By ruling with an iron fist? By saying, my way or the highway? Well, that last one kind of, yeah. Maybe that was a bad example. God shows his love proactively, unconditionally, and eternally. 
proactively. He didn't want for his bride to clean, wait for his bride to clean herself up before coming to the earth to lay down his life, did he? He moved in love first that he might clean her and purify his bride for himself. Back to Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, that says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, you and I are not Christ, okay? You and I, we don't purify our brides this way. But one of the best, and I will admit hardest, bits of wisdom that I received in my preparation for Mary and Gabby was this. Christ moved in love to reconcile while you were his enemy. And you have to do the same thing for your wife. That means after an argument, and you both storm off mad, men, it is your duty to go and make it right. I know that's hard. Well, she did it. Well, she, well, she. Love like Christ. Selflessly. You lay your life down. And you move First, why? Because Christ did. Christ's love is unconditional. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you hear that? He showed his love by dying while we were sinners. He didn't wait for you to get it right. He didn't wait for you to apologize. He didn't wait for you to fix the situation. He didn't wait for you to get smarter, get better, quit doing that thing I don't like. Christ died first. Men, you too. Ouch. I heard Paul Washer say once that God will usually send you a wife who does not Meet all your conditions. Why? Because you have to learn unconditional love. You have to learn what it means to love like Christ. Is this a high calling? You betcha. Is this a, an unreachable target? Without God's help? Absolutely. And you and I will always fail because Christ loves perfectly. We will never reach perfection but you know what we can always love better we most certainly have all fallen short of God's standard and while we were still there in that mess with our backs turned to him running the opposite direction Christ died for us to show us his love men you can not be experiencing the love of Christ that is unconditional and then put conditions on your wife. Christ's love is eternal. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Christ's love for us is never ending and we can never be separated from it. Now, men, does your wife have that security in you? Does she know that her place is secure because my husband loves me unconditionally? Again, you will not love perfectly the way that Christ loves, but you can love better. Unless you're perfect, in which case, tell me how you did it. Now, so often men bail from the marriage because of money problems or work stresses or resentments or the man leaves his bride because he found a newer, younger one. This is not the love of Christ at all. As the husband, you represent how Christ loves his church. Hear me clearly. That is a high call, and Christ will never leave his church. Ever. 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 Is that a high call? Absolutely. It is the high call of marriage. I don't care if it's tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or even your own backsliding. If you are in Christ, he will never leave you. Does your bride have this confidence in her position in your marriage? So it is with Christ. Does your bride know that only death will do you part? Because this is how it is with Christ, except for with him, death brings us closer. I want to ask you this morning, do you know this love of Christ? Has Christ's love been shed abroad in your heart in such a way that you have forsaken your sin and put all faith in him and him alone? So I want to tell you this morning, the only way to live up to this high call of marriage is by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. I can't do it. No one can do it but with the Holy Spirit's empowering in your life for the children of God, you can certainly love better. We were supposed to get into the section about children this morning, but we won't have time today. But I do want to summarize this message as follows. God has created men and women equally with distinct roles, unique roles. And when we both as husband and wife operate within the constructs of those roles, we will find marriage bliss that glorifies God. 
The world has distorted what these roles are to be and has horrendously misrepresented the truths of Scripture. Our own fallenness makes it impossible to live out the high calling of biblical marriage. But the gospel empowers us to live it out. Women can then submit to their husband without fear of abuse because husbands are then striving to model the unfathomable love of God. And as we both pursue to honor God in the roles that he has given us, our marriages will flourish, the gospel will be displayed, and the Lord will be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know it is always a challenging message to hear the truths of your scripture that that are so adamantly against our fallen nature. But God, I pray that this morning your spirit will do the work in the hearts of, of all of us, myself included, God. God, who can love like you? Who can love like you, God? No one. And we certainly don't stand a chance without your empowering, Lord. So God, I just pray that your spirit work in us, God, that your spirit work in the women to do their part and that your spirit work in the men to do our part, that we can live lives that glorify you because when we do that, we experience the joy and the fulfillment that you have for us, God. Please teach us. Please lead us. Please keep us. I pray for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.